Welcome to Relatively Healthy. I'm Janie Stoller. I'm so happy you're here. Today on the show, I have a guest who's so incredible. Her name is Caitlin Brodnick, and she is an author. She's a comedian. She's a new mother. And what really drew me to her story is that she, like me, kind of went through something a little crazy in her early 20s that set her apart from her peers and very different stories. She uh, tested positive for the BRCA gene and decided to undergo a double mastectomy. And at the time, this was, as you'll hear in the episode, something that wasn't considered standard. And hearing her advocate for her health and being a young woman going through this, I just think it took so much strength. And she's such an interesting, charismatic person that I was so excited to talk to her. And I also have experience in my family with breast cancer. And I know a lot of you listeners do too. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I just think she's the best. We are here with an incredible guest. We have comedian, actor, author, secret deodorant lady, <laughs> Caitlin Brodnick. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy so, to be here. So happy to be out. You just had a baby. You're yeah. in the world. <laughs> I left my, this is like the first thing I've done. I had a baby six weeks ago and I'm like, I'm leaving the house and putting on like mascara and <laughs> getting That's a cab. Amazing. Yeah. It's and like deal. making content because you just yes. got to get yourself back into the groove at six weeks out, you know? You That's do, what they say. You something yeah you gotta, you gotta do, do something, something. <laughs> yeah. um so i'm super excited because you are so open and you've written an amazing book and you've put yourself out there about your health journey which is so mm -hmm. interesting and i think you probably know a lot more than people about your your body like you know more about your body than most people know about their bodies <laughs> so i would just love yeah. to talk with you about your health journey because i can't think of a better term um yeah specifically like yeah what what happened in your 20s oh it was crazy so it's sort of it started really early like i actually didn't like or trust my body for a really long time because um i grew up with a family members a lot of my family members had died of cancer and i was like oh that's just gonna happen to me like that's just gonna be me um and so i was pretty angry at my body like really really upset and i treated it like garbage like you know, wanted to do crash diets and wanted to just be skinny. That was like my number one goal in my 20s. Totally. Was like, how can I be skinny and eat whatever I want and drink whatever I want? Um, and then crazy enough, like not really for health reasons, but for like life and like survival reasons, I had to get sober and getting sober was when I could actually like be cognizant of my body. And I think like if I was never sober and never like went through the process of finding sobriety and realizing I had a drinking problem and getting help, then like I wouldn't have been basically like, you know, actually sober enough to like look at myself and be like, oh, th th I don't love this or I like that or this seems unhealthy. How can I treat myself better? Like it, that was like a huge catalyst. And it wasn't like, I didn't really care about my body. My body was like an afterthought. It was because I wanted to get sober for my relationship and I wanted to get sober because I was like creating so much damage to like my friends and family and like circumstance. And so after that was when I was like, oh, and actually I should start paying attention to my body. Um, yeah. And my dad, so a lot of my issues of um, 
fear and issues like that with like health come from my dad's side of the family because he's the only surviving person. They've all died of cancers. And so he got tested for the BRCA, the BRCA gene, and he was positive for the BRCA genetic mutation, BRCA1, and wanted me to get tested. And I, at first I was like, no, this is disgusting. Like, I don't want to know. Like, it's just more like a nail in the coffin anyway. Like, why would I want to find out that? And then, mm-hmm. and then after getting sober and then after sort of coming to terms, realizing that I was deathly afraid of getting cancer and that I had, that had been sitting with me since I was really little, um, I went and got tested and that sort of like started everything. So I only really started taking care of myself because I had to, (laughs) because I wasn't drunk. I couldn't like dilute my feelings anymore. (laughs) That sounds so scary. That sounds like you were just put in a position where you had to face reality. Like you, because I feel like most people live in that first chapter, the starve yourself and think about the external and, you know, like smoke cigarettes because you lose weight. Just treat your body like trash because you're just trying to look good right now. And so to be forced to, you know, look at it in a different way must have been, I can't even imagine. It must have been crazy. Well, yeah. And also I I always thought like, okay, that was something that like adults did. Like adults Mm. really went to the doctor or like would see a nutritionist or like there's, those are just things that were like more mature, taking care of herself stuff that I saw my parents do. My parents (laughs) take care of themselves very well. They're very healthy. Like I had really good role models, but I just decided like, you know what, I'm going to do it differently. I bet I could like lose weight and be healthy and like not have to think about things by like doing a juice cleanse or totally signing up to be a part of an infomercial. Like I just like, I, <laughs> there are like so <laughs> many other it. ways I wanted to like take care of myself in this just really like a, it was pretty lazy. Like it was like, what can I do without leaving my bed? <laughs> like mm, what can yeah, I do by totally. staying home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally get that. And I think we all done that but we never some yeah. of us never moved past it not that I'm speaking about myself but that's why no but like why um, it's like and then, so uncomfortable why why leave the I house know. if you don't have to <laughs> I know and it's also like you were talking about a little bit about how it's like what adults do is taking care mm-hmm. of themselves I feel like when you're in your 20s you don't see yourself as having consequences and you feel like Stuff like, I mean, they truly, you know, you don't have to get a mammogram till 40 typically. Like there's just things that aren't on our radars to start taking care of them or we know why to do them now. So the fact that you did that ahead of time probably made you feel different than people in your age group. It was. It totally did. Because I had this idea of like, oh, I'll deal with it later. Like there's just like life's worth living. There's too much going on. And then to start sort of the process of finding out like, oh, am I somebody who's susceptible? So when you're BRCA positive, that means you're positive for the mutated gene. We all have the BRCA1 and 2 genes, but if you have the mutation, that's what they're checking. Um, And the gene is a protein suppressor, which helps suppress cancer tumor growth and helps stop cancer from developing and spreading. So if you have a mutation, that means that you have a gene that doesn't do that. There's something off. And so... um, like the average person doesn't really have to worry about breast or the average woman, I'll say, start with that, doesn't have to worry about breast or ovarian cancer till they're older and like the percentages are less. When if you have the mutation, your chances are much higher um, earlier in your life and they grow higher as you get older. So that's sort of something too that speeds everything up and you sort of go, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have your friends. Like I remember just, I like my friends were just like chilling and like getting stoned and I was like, I wish like I could just be relaxed and like not think of anything else. But like, I can't stop thinking about like, am I going to die of breast cancer? Like it just was, it was that sort of thing that like, 
it, it, it would never leave my brain. It would never leave mm-hmm. sort of like my stressor, my psyche. And I felt really disconnected from people. Like I, I really just felt um, so unfocused with things. And mm-hmm. and I like after I got tested, I really like couldn't stop talking about it. So growing up, I was mm-hmm. afraid I would die of cancer. And then getting this gene, this positive test, I was like, oh, this is like another like closer step to cancer. So I'm definitely going to get it. Like it just was so mm. stressful. Doctors told me in my lifetime, I had an 87% chance of breast cancer, wow. um, which is insane. Cause 87% is like a great test score for me. I'm like, that's a high <laughs> yeah. B. Like that's I would have been really proud if I ever got <laughs> yeah. 87. Yeah, exactly. so I was like 87 is passable on a spelling test. So I exactly. was like, um, it was just, and it's not, it's not 87% chance immediately. The second you get tested, it, it grows over time. But if you told me it's 87% chance eventually, like I still, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And um, I had just gotten married and I couldn't stop talking about like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, when am I going to die? When am I going to get breast cancer? Like we have to have kids so I can like finish breastfeeding and like get that over with because there's all these other statistics too that say if you have kids when you're younger, then it lowers your breast cancer risk. If you breastfeed, all these all these sort of things that you sort of mm-hmm. can read on the internet and make yourself crazy. Um, a lot of those statistics, though, aren't with people who have a BRCA mutation. They're just general breast cancer sort of right. facts. So I was also yeah. like reading all of the wrong stuff and like just making myself crazy. And then I said to my husband, like we'd only been married for like a year or two. And I said, like, I think I want to get... Um, preventative double mastectomy and Angelina Jolie just came out with it and Mm -hmm. it was an option that a lot of doctors said to me well you can do it when you're in your 40s and 50s that's when the risk really starts to spike and they said like that's after childbearing years so everybody in the medical industry assumes that you're going to breastfeed and that your body is made to breastfeed and that then all your decisions are after you've like been useful to your children and I was like actually I I don't really care about breastfeeding like uh, you know when we have kids whenever that is like I think I want to have the mastectomy now and take away that chance of breastfeeding just to have that peace of mind and sort of get this control over my body so when you have a preventative double mastectomy they remove all of the insides of your breast because all of that tissue is the tissue that has the high risk of becoming cancerous so that includes like the milk ducts everything inside there all the fat all the nerves um but then my risk was less than one percent of getting breast cancer so i was like i want that relief to start right now and at the time it was not popular for young people under 40 to get the surgery and so i really had to persuade and speak with all my doctors why i wanted to have it now it's Mm -hmm. much more popular and there's a lot of young girls who are doing it and a lot of people that have come you know out in the open have talked about it but i was one of the first early people that at least with my groups of doctors um it was right after angelina jolie and right when the interest started to peak and so they Mm -hmm. were sort of concerned like are you rushing into this are you going to regret this um it's a huge decision they really want to make sure i thought you know thought through it all but i was telling them that it was creating such a pressure and such a um hindrance on my relationship with my husband and like our future family planning and like making me feel like i'm rushed to do something like we weren't ready to have kids yet Mm -hmm. and i talked to a genetic counselor and she was like oh i think that's totally legitimate and I waited till I was ready to have kids and I'm really happy and I just like from experience she's like if you know you're ready and you don't want this to be this holding you over 
then I, you know, you have my blessing basically. And I had to go through and talk to my oncologist and plastic surgeon and explain to everyone why I wanted to do this. And they all eventually were like, oh, that's a good idea. But <laughs> everyone made sure I like really was dead set on it. And then I had a preventative double mastectomy and it was like the best decision I've ever made. Like the, wow. the the amount of peace of mind, like my relationships better, like um, my family feels more comfortable and content. Like it was just so such such a wonderful experience. But it did make me grow up really fast in that sense because I had it at like 20, 27, 28 mm-hmm. in, in those mm-hmm. two years. And then, um, yeah, and then I was just like, Okay. Okay. Like now everything's different. Like I had this like sort of rush to take care of yourself. Like once you decide you're doing it, you're just like in the medical world. And that's also crazy. And like to be doing all of this and not have a cancer diagnosis, I felt guilty. It was like, so all these things Mm. were like all piled into and it really did make me like have to grow up really quickly. And it was nothing that any other comedian in their 20s was doing. <laughs> I was right. definitely Everyone's on my out own. Right, talking about Tinder and you're like, <laughs> I'm facing my mortality and making yeah. active choices. Yeah. Also, I can't believe how much, I didn't realize how much you had to advocate for this, that it wasn't yeah. like, sure, 87% to 1% makes sense. Let's do it. That like, it wasn't considered the norm. I didn't realize yeah. that. Well, That's crazy. the thing is, and uh, well, there's a really good reason. So, I talk about this a lot with anybody who asks me for advice, you know, if they say like, should I get tested? Do I need to see if I have the gene? And I always say like, do it with a genetic counselor, which is a certified person who's basically a therapist and a scientist mix into one and you go to them and they explain your test results and they go over everything with you because it's a very, it's a huge psychological shift when you get these results. Mm. And it's really incredible because in our life, we don't usually like we know we have percentages of life and death. And you know that like, there's a point something percent chance of getting hit by a car or whatever. Like we we know that abstractly. But when somebody hands you a piece of paper that has a percentage of your risk of getting breast cancer, and in my case, it's always been deadly in my family, maybe not for somebody else. But basically, it was like a mortality, like on, on a sheet of paper. And it really is a mind fuck. And so I understand why doctors are like, this is so intense, such it's an experience that's very rare. Like we don't, this is all new, sort of this like genetic testing and genetic like planning and genetic based like preventative medicine. So they really wanted patients not to sort of have this panic basically that is would make complete sense (laughs) like to go Mm -hmm, through. Like it it is the craziest thing. Um, And so I understand that they really wanted to have make sure it was really thought out because once you do remove your breasts and once you have these surgeries like it is a long process like it is like you're having massive surgery then you have to heal then you might have to have a reconstruction and a a revision like there's you're like creating you're embarking in this world of medicine and surgery and you're it's a huge decision so I see that they really wanted it but having to advocate made me even more and more and more like passionate about it and more like Mm -hmm like set that I knew this was the right decision because I was so frustrated and like at times angry when anybody questioned it. And I was like, oh, then this is the right decision. But if I didn't have that, if people were like, sure, let's go ahead. Like, let's get you open. Like that would be, I I might've been regretting it today because I wouldn't have felt that I really went through it. So yeah, in a way I'm like, really wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that that happened. But um, I would always say to like anybody who's curious, like I wouldn't do one of the mail-in like genetic testing, you know, they're 
advertised so much right now on TV and online. It's like you just send in a cotton swab and they tell you your genetic results. And I think that's so incredibly dangerous because um, there's so many questions attached to it. And also like in, in our bodies and in our life, we all have a risk of like, you know, terrible diseases like it's just there is always a risk but you are living your life and you know like to be healthy and you know to not smoke crack and to like try and go to the gym like we all know things that like will help us live longer um Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily need like a piece of paper that comes back and says to you know this is your risk it it just kind of puts you in your in a it gives you a mind fuck because if there's no symptoms then there's nothing to treat and until there's this until you are diagnosed with anything or until there's something to treat, it's just to stay and be healthy and like live your life. So I don't think that that's necessarily, it feels like I would feel like, oh, I want to know everything. Like I want to make sure I'm on top of everything. But if the same answer is just going to be be healthy, exercise, eat well, um, and you don't have like a looming sort of like morbid percentage number over your head versus you do, like (laughs) I would rather not have to deal with that. So I don't know if that makes sense. And yeah, that makes total sense. And I think what you're saying is so interesting, too, because you had someone there to help coach you through and walk you through the results and what they meant versus mailing something and getting something back in the mail and not being able to do anything about it or not knowing your options or just being like, oh, I'll get Alzheimer's eventually. Cool. Now what? Yeah. Like, I don't know what benefit that has. Exactly. And it's like the next step is like, what do you just keep Googling? Like, do you do you mm-hmm. get set up with like a um, where's the doctor that can explain this further to you? Like there is just this this next step that people don't really realize that this information is it really is life changing. And so I really hate seeing these commercials being like, I found out I'm like half Norwegian and this and that. And it's like, okay, cool. Like that's, that's fun to find out what your ancestors are. But if you're doing genetic based, like medical information as well, which is an option you can have with these sites too. um, It's really crazy. And then also your like medical information is just like given to a website. And we don't know like, what that'll be like in the future like you don't know if if you'll be discriminated against like god forbid you know you don't Mm -hmm. want that but i also just think like it's just made in this like candy coating commercial and i just think it's there's so much more to it because i had i got the test results and had a really terrible doctor reveal them to me she basically left me in a in a room told me the results and it said if I had if I was positive she thinks we should cut off my boobs immediately she gives oh me the God. results and then leaves the room and leaves me alone and so it was it was like the most horrific thing because she just it was so cruel and so like barren and scary and I was just oh alone and like so freaked out and called my family and was like basically felt like that's it I have cancer like like when when you don't really have that much information and you just mm-hmm. read this percentage, I was like, I might as you might as well have said I had cancer. Like it was so heavy and so intense. And so I it took me like two or three years from that first diagnosis to then decide I wanted the surgery. But in that mm-hmm. time, it was like really, really a bad time in my life because I didn't really have the tools to process this. Um, and I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't know like uh, the next step. And so I would say like, if I had known to go to a genetic counselor and like sat with somebody and they explained to me, um, you know, it, it increases every 10 years and like, this is what you should worry about with family planning. And this is what, these are 
the myths that you've been reading and Googling and this mm-hmm. is actually what it is. And like, so and just here, have a human you being sit down with you in like a compassionate it, like, way. Yeah. yeah. Just know. to talk it through. And also like, here's a therapist or here's a support group mm-hmm. or here's um, a list of patients that are happy to talk to you about this. Like there are so many resources that I don't think necessarily you'll get when you get in a mail-in test. And like, I do think because this is an experience no one's had before that you need that um, human component. Like I think to just do it on your own is it would I did it and it was really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. horrible. I yeah. can't believe that doctor did that. That's oh, like one I called her this bitch That's in my book. Crazy. I didn't even give her a name. I just called her this bitch. <laughs> Doesn't didn't earn it. Didn't earn nope, it. Didn't get a name. So nope. after so it took you two or three years to be firmly decided and and get the surgery and and sort of mm-hmm. like sounds like get permission and get everyone mm-hmm. to sign on. Mm-hmm. What was the surgery like? You mentioned that it's a lot and there was like a long recovery time was it yeah how long was the recovery it's a pretty big surgery I had never had surgery before and so I didn't really know anything about it like after most surgeries like you come home and you're very puffy and your body is still swollen and there's like um you're coming down off of pain meds and all these other fluids that were put in your body during surgery. So like somebody who's gone through surgery might have known that and I just had no idea what to expect. So um it is a recovery like any other major surgery, but it's on your chest. And so it is, it was like hard to get in and out of bed. It was like hard to like sit myself up and lay down. Like I'd have like my family help like lay me down or like pick me up. (laughs) Um, And it, for me too, recovering was very much like I was very insecure during recovery because I didn't want to pull or agitate or move anything in my body that like might, harm my healing process so what they do is they go in and they remove everything in your breast that all of your breast tissue but they keep your chest wall your muscle wall intact and then depending on the type of boob you you know your new forever boob or how your other boobs were like you have all these different options for reconstruction so some women who are keeping their same breasts they just go right to reconstruction in the same surgery Um, when they remove everything, when they remove it, that's the oncologist and that's the mastectomy. Um, The oncologist is the cancer doctor who comes in, the the surgeon, and they remove everything. And that's the same mastectomy that would be done if you did have cancer. So it's commonly done and it's like your doctor knows exactly what they're doing. It's Mm -hmm. not special. It's not new. Um, And mastectomies sadly happen all the time. So they Mm -hmm. go in and they do that. And then the next step is the reconstruction. And that's when you work with a plastic surgeon. So in my hospital, once I had my mastectomy surgery, then my doctor, basically my oncologist just washed up her hands and like high fived the plastic surgeon and the plastic surgeon walked in. So I was under during all of it, which was great. <laughs> and then they start there was the, the reconstruction right there at that next second. So you. Wow. Yeah. So to figure out what I want to do, like instead of just meeting with one doctor, I was always meeting with two doctors. I'd see the oncologist to talk about the mastectomy and then I would see my plastic surgeon afterwards. So prepping before, prepping, you know, dealing with stuff after, it was always with two doctors. And then um, the reconstruction process is not as straightforward because there's so many options and women have so many different thoughts and feelings of how they want their breast to look and touch and it's like how they want them the heft and the shape and it's really interesting because like the first part is just like for a mastectomy just like get the cancer out or get the you know get those cells out or get you know the tissue out you just want to like rid your body of that and then the second part you're 
so much more involved in because you're like, okay, mm-hmm. now I'm building this like cosmetic, like sexual body part, which is kind of crazy. So, and you never thought you would be doing that. You never thought you'd no. be picking like, no, like you're like, <laughs> I love my breasts. I don't want to, you know, necessarily pick different ones. Well, no, I hated my breasts. I was you ready did? to go. Yeah, because I had, <laughs> I hated them. They were, they were the insane. Like, so I'm like five feet, one and a half inches, and they were 32 G's. They were so big. I couldn't fit them in anything. Like, they made me look like a babushka. Like, I just look like heavy and round. And like, people would be like, oh, Kaylin with like the huge tits. Like, that's people. Are you knew an Ashkenazi me. Jew? Yes. I feel like we're yes. the same. <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Huge Pride cans. And like, yeah. yeah. And just then, tiny like, ladies, huge boobs. Tiny yeah. ladies, huge bit boobs yeah good butt huge boobs and so I was just was like <laughs> I just had them forever and they, they were so cumbersome so for me I was like oh this is like a vacation like I can get I was like a little concerned because like I just married my husband and I was like am I stealing these beautiful breasts away from him but too bad my back hurts like we're gonna we're going smaller <laughs> so yeah so I had to choose my new breast size and so that the reconstruction process was more complicated like if you wanted the exact same boobs if you loved your boobs sometimes they can do something called direct to implant where they put the new implant um in at the same time of the mastectomy surgery so people it's a very it's a much faster experience but for me we had to we were doing a reduction and then adding an implant as well so she it took a little bit longer and then to create the implant like you had it's so crazy so they put they can't just put the implant in your body um, under your skin like you would do for like regular breast implants like you see a regular person with breast implants and the implant sits like on top of the breast tissue as like a little shelf and that's and it fills out the rest of the breast well when you have nothing there there's nothing for your breast implant to like hold itself up so Mm. they put it in between your pec muscles which at first I was like that's disgusting like I've never used my pec muscles why (laughs) what's happening (laughs) this is so gross but my doctor was like no it's like a little cocoon like it's like a little cocoon that holds your implant and she said that like with the healthy blood flow and like muscle like the cells around it are healthy like none of those are cancerous or precancer cells that are that that muscle tissue she's like that's all really great and healthy and I was like a cocoon like that's so adorable (laughs) okay (laughs) okay give it to me so so while they are creating that space for your forever implant they put this temporary implant and they're called spacers um and they slowly fill that with saline solution over time till you decide the exact breast shape you want and then they put in your forever implant so that's also crazy too because i'm like i don't you know i've never had small boobs and i'm choosing that and then you choose your forever implant it's like do you want there's ones called like jelly bear no like yeah there's um like gummy bear implants and then there's silicone and saline implants like there's all these different types and like or you can use your own body fat to like fill (gasps) that up yeah so some people just yes some people use their own body fat and like that sounds amazing, but the, the procedure's much more intense because then uh. you have to remove it from someplace else. So uh. you remove like your whole, like there's basically a scar that goes like um across your waist, like a really long, big cesarean scar. And so when you're healing, you're healing from your 
your chest being cut open and then your waist being cut open, like your lower abdomen. So it's, oh my God. it's a lot. Yeah, it sounds really that nice, a lot. but it is a lot. I know, I was like ready for it. <laughs> Me and too. And not. I was like, take it all <laughs> lipo away. And then it was <laughs> exactly. like, no. And my no. doctor was like, I just don't want to even touch that area. She's like, you haven't had kids yet. Like, I just don't want to sort of disrupt that whole world. And I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm yeah. afraid of scarring and like not being, I don't know. It just was too much. But so you have all these decisions and then you create your implants. And then in my case, because I had so much breast tissue, they had to take a lot away. And like, they sort of had to pull the top of my breast and like make it really, to make it smoother. So that's not just sort of like bumpy and like looking weird and all cut up. They kind of like smooth everything down and they sealed my breasts like an envelope. And so part of that though is my nipples had to go. Like my nipples couldn't be saved. Mm. So then I have, I have no nipples. So then it's like, do you get new nipples? Do you have nipple reconstruction? Do you do a nipple tattoo? How do you get new nipple tattoo? What? Yeah. They can tattoo like a 3D nipple on your boob where your nipple would be. And that's like a business oh now. Like if God, you that's Google. That's a whole other set of choices. I mean, the nipple whole, range I mean, it's just so unbelievable. much. It's so oh much. My God. You can tattoo a fake ring on a fake nipple. <laughs> it's really crazy. <laughs> it's like a I get like a Christina much. Aguilera 98 yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just insane. This and have it say dirty under it. Yeah, you could do like whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> you could do whatever you want. Yeah. You're like picking. It's so bizarre because it's, it's just so coupling bizarre. of like you're dealing with your mortality and taking yes. control of your body and all the things that are so serious. And then you're also like, what kind of like nip going to do? You know, yeah. it's like such a bizarre time. Yes. And then also it was like not just the nipple. You have to choose the areola. And it's like, do I have big areolas? Oh and then you pick the color. And then, I mean, there's just so, there was like a nipple like booklet that I had my husband look at. And I was like, what do you like? Like, I don't know. Like, what do I yeah, like? like it was, I mean, this is, I you're know. too close to it. Just be like, it's whatever you much. want. I don't know. Like, yeah. you're going to look at them more than I am probably. I know. So it's fine. And that was really, I mean, the whole process was really crazy. And it's like, these are sort of the things that when you do a mail-in genetic test, you don't really think about like, you don't think about the nipple color that you're going to no, have to pick. No, I mean, yeah, and it's, it's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. It's totally crazy. And I also, something else you were mentioning too, is like a lot about what the timing and the way the medical profession views women. You were talking about your childbearing years and how that Ugh, weighed yeah. in and what people thought about. And I just feel like you were touching on something there that I think is so interesting that I do think like, the medical field sometimes sees women as just these baby machines. Yes. And then once you produ- reproduce, then it's whatever. And like, yeah. you should li- walk around with an 87% risk because the goal is that you breastfeed. Like, that's right. the most important thing. And then after you so, breastfeed, yeah. your body's your own. But before then, it's like you're just, uh, yeah, a baby making machine. And it's it's a, a really, machine. really frustrating. And then and then actually, I just got pregnant and had a baby. And so congratulations. <laughs> thank That's so you. Amazing. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was great. And then I mean, birth is awful, but like the baby's great. But um, <laughs> so then you have a baby and the whole time everyone's like, oh, so when you breastfeed, when you breastfeed and I had to tell everyone like I'm not breastfeeding and that like blows their mind. Like when you tell a medical profession that you aren't even going to I physically can't breastfeed. So right, right. That. Like they're used to having people say like, 
oh, I'm not, I can't, I tried or this or that. But like everything is so geared to breastfeeding when you're dealing with pregnancy and birth. And like many people can't breastfeed. Like it's also like not the easiest thing for some women, but like the amount of pressure to breastfeed was just Mm. became very frustrating because I was like, look, I'm just not, I can't, I'm not going to do it. And then I have to tell my whole story (laughs) beginning to end Mm. why I'm not doing it. And like everybody understands eventually, but it was, it was definitely an uphill battle to deal with that. And that, that again makes you just feel like, I know this is like what medical science thinks of women and thinks of my usefulness, but it's not happening. Like you shouldn't have to explain why it should just be like, Oh, here's a woman who understands her body better than I do. I'm not going to ask her why, like she she probably is just making the right decision for herself. Yeah. And you're allowed to also like not want to. (laughs) You're also allowed to say, I don't want to. to, Yeah. You're allowed to not want to. I've heard so many mothers passingly mention that there's a whole the amount of judgment on mothers is even more than just in women in general like every choice you make is just such a big deal to people yeah and I guess it's because people have mothers or because people like (laughs) no mother I don't know what it is but it's like it's people that haven't even have had kids like the most compassionate people for me are always other moms like other young Mm. young moms first-time moms or like moms who just who are dealing with kids like I've had some old, old ladies. I live in Astoria. So there's some old Greek ladies who have a lot of things to say. So they're not very compassionate, but um, there's most people that are compassionate are people going through it. But otherwise, everybody else has something to tell you. And they have something that worked for their cousin or something about their, you know, wife's cesarean that they want to tell you about. And it's like, it's crazy. It's really crazy. (laughs) And it, it was kind of nice to have the all the BRCA stuff and the mastectomy because no one talks about that because boobs make people so uncomfortable <laughs> and talking That's about crazy. like my tits and like what size and this and that like no one even wants to speak about that and so I'm like that's kind of nice that they're so nervous about it but then you have a baby and it's like everyone's involved <laughs> everyone's gonna talk about it it's so yeah. funny with like not wanting to talk about boobs because everyone's obsessed with boobs but no one oh, talks yeah. about it and like no one talks about what they really are <laughs> boobs are great too like yeah. they're beautiful and like I've become like such a boob and nipple like aficionado and I'm like I can spot a fake (laughs) boob anywhere and like I am like I am like staring at people's nipples I'm like those are so I wouldn't have picked those like I didn't know those existed like do you love your new ones are you like really happy with so here's the thing bod I I love Mm. my new boobs but I could not commit to a nipple so I still don't have nipples (laughs) I can't do it it's too hard it's It's, like there's so many choices gave me such anxiety even just the choices I get it it's like like, yeah I that's probably the biggest decision a person would ever have to make I can't even imagine yeah I can't get a tattoo like first of all also I don't like needles I don't like tattooing so that it's like I then the type of nipple like you can if you you can use like skin on your breast like by like sort of making a knot out of the skin where the nipple would be to have like a tiny mound or you can take tissue and like skin from like your inner thigh or under your armpit and build like a a 3d nipple or you tap like there's so many options and like what if i have nipples that are like i don't grow into like should i have like grandmother like sepia tone nipples like should i like what kind of and then like also because it's fake like and if it's made with tissue and not a tattoo then it's always hard like you always have a nipple (gasps) there yeah so i'm like no 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 right and then i'm like because i don't really like the fake tattoo for me i wouldn't like because i'd always be like trying to it would just like wig me out because i would always want to feel a nipple if it looks like a nipple because i just like that but 
I don't think I want to always have hard nipples too. Like it's just very. Oh my it's so god! Like Jennifer Aniston on Friends all the time, all the time. Jennifer Aniston like for her it's whole life. Embarrassing. Like when that happens, it's like I don't. I yeah, don't, and then it got to a point where it was like, is she doing this on purpose? Like, is she just like, I am a nipply person? Like, this is how I yeah. got to live. Yeah, it felt it's like. It was on a network show and we're yes. so, you know, Janet Jackson gets pulled off the Super Bowl forever, but it's like Jennifer but Aniston are good to go. Just like mostly nip at this point. Good <laughs> she to is. go. They're just That's flopping crazy. around. And yeah. Yeah. Flop, so I, I just couldn't fall do. off in. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just like couldn't pick so, it. So I don't have nipples. I couldn't pick. And then my oh, husband you know was Who like, needs? yeah, my husband's like, look, I've been there. We went through surgery together. He's like, I don't, you don't need to do yeah, it for me. What is and I was like, for? oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. He's that's like, really I think nice. jig is up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, <laughs> but if anything <laughs> happens point, to you, I'm it's like, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I was like, but yeah. if anything happens, I'm, and I have to date again, I am getting new nipples <laughs> because no one's that compassionate. <laughs> Just <laughs> want to make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah. You're a gem <laughs> so, and I don't trust any other men. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So then, so how long after all this did you get pregnant? This is just so yeah. many things with your body. It's, it's unbelievable. a lot. I know. And like, so there, yeah, it's, it's just a lot. I think that was also why I didn't choose to do the nipple surgery or nipple tattoos also because they, you wait like months after all of your surgeries are done to make sure your body's fully healed. And I just like didn't want any more surgery. Like I just didn't mm-hmm. want any more, any more procedures. And so it was about four years ago when I had it all happen and then it did take me like a full year after surgery to feel like stronger and better like completely fully healed like I three to six months later you're able to like exercise and do normal things but I like emotionally too was just really out of it and like feeling like um like something had happened to my body. I felt so disconnected to everybody else and also just like so afraid that um, anybody would bump into me. You know, we're in New York City, so it's like I didn't want to get on the subway with like crazy people and like crowded. Like I just like didn't want, I just didn't feel strong in my body for at least a year, even though I was Mm. fine and able to do stuff. Like I think I had like a mental hill to climb as well because, you know, when you're, when you have such a massive surgery, you are a patient for a really long time and you are told like, don't do anything in the first few weeks because you don't want to pull anything or hurt any stitches. And like that was something I couldn't really ever get over because I was so afraid that I would do something to harm the healing process or injure myself. Even though I was fine and I was healing great, like it did take me some time to feel confident again and um, and to like get back and like feel like I was getting back to my body. And so I, yeah, I started to feel really good and life was great and I got pregnant immediately. <laughs> and, wow. like, I got pregnant so fast and I oh thought it God. was like, I thought maybe my fertility would have like dwindled a little because Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're producing less estrogen. There's less like a female. I don't know. There's like less tissue. And I was like, I don't know, maybe if my if I don't have breasts and it's just ovaries and everything else, like maybe my hormones are less and it'll be harder for me to conceive. And it like happened right away. (laughs) So my body was like, okay, great. (laughs) Like we don't care. Just ready. Doesn't doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, okay, let that be a lesson to any woman trying. Like people always say, this is really crazy too. When you're thinking of having kids, 
lots of people go like, oh, we'll do it now because if it doesn't work out, it could be a year until you are able to do infertility treatments and you'd want to start now because you don't want to like find out something happens or you're not able to have kids and waste that year because everyone's obsessed with like women's timelines of their bodies. So oh my you, God. yeah, so you go to do it I, and I, then I'm just eye rolling. Sorry. I know <laughs> you should. I'm sorry. Not to give you more stress, yeah. but people suck. <laughs> so no, just, I just find it's the whole thing is so crazy. Just the yeah. amount of stress on women by a certain age to do certain things. It is weird. It's 2018. We'll all figure it out. It'll be yes. okay. It'll be and it's okay. also like 35 isn't this like, yeah, let's all cry. But 35 yeah. isn't this cutoff <laughs> age that they make you feel like it is. You know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's inaccurate. And so it's, it, inaccurate. it's yeah, it's really stressful. So, so yeah, so I, um, so we started and I was like, okay, like it could take a year and it like happened the first night. And I was like, okay, well, I don't oh know. God. <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't know what's That's happening. Amazing. Yeah. So that That's was amazing. fine. And, and yeah, he's a really healthy, great baby. Who's like a huge baby. He is like his brain or his head is in the 40th percentile and his body is in like the 13th. So he has oh a really God. big head. <laughs> yeah. He's a baby genius. I know. He's I'm a like, little boss baby. Are you gonna be, I know. We do call him boss baby. <laughs> he is really bossy. <laughs> He's very fancy. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. It's just amazing. Like after all the things your body's been through and you've been through to then produce from that yes. same body a human being. I can't even imagine. It's crazy. And it's also crazy that like your body is doing the best it can all the time. Like your body wants to be 100% healthy. Like it's constantly like regenerating cells. It's constantly healing. It's like reminds you if you get a headache, you need to drink more water. Like your body wants to be at 100% all the time. But like I just didn't have any faith in that before. And like I think mm-hmm. I had this like mind against body thing. And I think that comes from like years of dieting and years of like trying to will myself into a certain body shape that I wanted. But then once all that goes away and like, you know, when you're pregnant, you can't really diet. And so you just sort of like let your body be, or at least I did. And it was amazing how my body just like took care of me in every way. You know, it healed from the mastectomy. It had a baby come out of it. Like it really, my body knew exactly what it was doing. And I just like had to get out of its way. Like I just had to let it it take over. And that was a new thing for me because it was always like there was so much force. There was almost pushing on my side, like on my mental side of like, this has to be the perfect body the way I want it to be. And it was very like aggressive the way I would treat and think about my body. And now it's like, oh, if 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 I'm not if like my brain's on the equation, like it's doing a great job. <laughs> like, yeah. like if I was like half brain dead, I would still have like a very healthy baby because <laughs> my body That's- did it all. That's such an important thing to take away. I feel like there's me so many listeners to this and myself included who are in that first, you know, primitive stage of thinking about their bodies and fighting it. And it's all about the aesthetic and not really being in touch with it. Mm -hmm. But then when you take a step back, you realize how miraculous it is that your body will always try to heal itself and that it can do amazing things. And sometimes you just have to get out of its way. But in your case, also like take the right choices for it to do that. Like you made such an awesome act of choice by getting the double mastectomy that Thanks. you were able to then be in the space now. So that's incredible. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's you're pretty amazing. amazing. This no. is I'm yeah. You are you're amazing. So cool. <laughs> that's so nice. No, I'm just like and I'm constantly just like, okay, I don't know. Like you just like we're all just trying to survive. So you're just sort of I'll just try to survive. You know, you just sort you of, mentioned Yeah. You mentioned ahead. earlier that you um felt like 
there weren't other people talking about it or that what you were going through, you felt alone. Have you felt lately like there's more of a community around what you went through? Yeah, there definitely is so much more of a community. And like, actually, when Angelina Jolie came out with her piece, which was incredible, it like um, mastectomies or preventative mastectomy and um, even like inquiries about genetic health, like went up like 100 percent, like people just it gave such an incredible amount of exposure that women are even just asking these questions. And like, you know, I have high cancer in my family. They're even they're speaking to their doctors. So like the whole world view on this really shifted and preventative medicine didn't become instead of taking this like idea of like some like frivolous, like rich person's thing, it's something that is allowed you know, it's insurance covered my whole mastectomy and all my reconstruction, any issue I had, like it's preventative medicine is like a really legitimate, important thing that is getting the respect it deserves. And it's not sort of this, um, I don't know, just not sort of this, like, uh, maybe it was never this way, but I got the feeling that it was kind of like this idea of like, oh, well, you don't have anything to treat now. Why are you stressing? Like, calm down. You're just an emotional woman. And like, um, nowadays, it's more people take it more seriously, which I really uh, enjoy and appreciate. And then, but when I was going through my mastectomy, this was like in 2013, 14, I didn't think that feel or see many people that were my age that were going through this. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. most people who have even preventative mastectomies, they were recommended or encouraged by the doctors to do it after childbearing years. And so they weren't until they were 40 or 50. So I felt really, really alone and really young in this like community. And so that's why I did like a documentary following the beginning of my journey. And I wrote a book because I was like, we just have to we have to be talking about this because there's nothing worse than going through a terrible thing or even just a trying extreme situation and feeling really lonely as well. Like the loneliness was very hard and very Mm -hmm. um, just I felt so detached and like I felt like there were crazy things happening and I was thinking like someone has to be feeling this way even if it's like one other girl going through this or even thinking about it or seeing her cousin go through it I was like someone has to feel the same way and I was like I bet they want to connect as much as I do so that's why I started to go like I'm totally an overshare because I just like I'm like I know that I'm not alone at least there's like three people that might feel that way yeah and now they have you they have your book they have the documentary they know they're not alone so that's an incredible thing the incredible way to use that feeling and then turn it into something positive that's amazing well I also can't keep my mouth shut so I was like well I'm gonna talk about it anyway (laughs) I just gotta keep going (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so yeah that's this is amazing I just think I've learned so much from this I definitely am not gonna do 23 and me now like I was thinking about it but that's not gonna happen it's and you Mm. know what genetic counselors are amazing like you could I guess you could call them and say I want to do 23 and me or a test like Mm. that and have it be like sent to their place or their like lab but the other thing too is like some companies like you don't know who the labs are that are doing this testing and so Mm. I went through like a medical lab with like a legitimate none of the other ones aren't legitimate but I knew exactly what who was testing it where it was being tested there was like no sort of like gray area and it was just me and my doctor and it was kept incredibly private so Mm -hmm. that's the other thing too is like um, you can call a genetic counselor 
and even just have a consultation and say, and that's also covered by insurance. Like a lot of times it's covered by insurance. So it's not, Oh wow, yeah. Like it's, if you have a family history and you can call your insurance company and ask and see if you need to get pre-approval or this or that. But even people that don't have insurance, I know this great company, this great group of doctors that like has a sliding scale for people and you can get free consultations if you can't afford it. Like there's a whole community of genetic counseling and like sort of like the genetic um, preventative medicine world that like once you start looking into um they're very helpful and like, no, they don't have catchy commercials and they don't have like Facebook ads. But like if you start looking at for yourself and like most cancer centers, most hospitals like would have someplace you can go or like can refer you to another place. My biggest thing was that I was a, didn't want to have anything to do with any sort of cancer center because I felt like that mm-hmm. was feeling like I had cancer and like I didn't even want to like put that on the table. But these cancer centers have this great departments for preventative medicine and like pre-cancerous testing and everything. So if I was able to have, if I could have gotten over that, then it would have, I would have been in a much better place than I was in the beginning. So I always say like, if you can, if we all Google things anyway, if you can like start Googling genetic counselors and find somebody like, yeah, start that into the panic Googling is like something that could actually help you make sense of what you're seeing. Yeah. My my brother said that actually, he was like, you know what? I was asking him to look up something. He's like, you should not look this up before you go to bed. He's like, you just, I know you very well. You should not be Googling right now. And I was like, you're right. That's a great idea. Yeah. So what advice? advice? I mean, that's amazing advice. Is there anything else that stands out as like something that you tell people and something that you feel like is a message for people who are wondering more about genetic testing and the BRCA gene? Like, do you have any takeaways? So I always think like, look at your family history. You know, is there, do you have like a certain, for really for anything, like does heart disease run in your family? Does diabetes, like it's a lot of your genetic map is right there if you look at your family's history and sort of their struggles um and then i would say just like be informed and i think like what i did is i was in the dark for a lot of years like i just sort of like hid from it because i was so afraid and you're allowed to take as much time as you want but being informed doesn't mean that you have to make a decision that day so i think i was worried that like if i went to a genetic counselor early that would mean i had cancer and i'd have to get treated and like i i almost felt like i was getting ahead of myself like if I got informed and educated then that would mean I would bring on sort of cancer decisions or like I the surgery would happen the next day but because you're not sick and you're healthy and you're just like inquiring about this um that doesn't mean you have to do anything like you can you can be informed and sit on this information for 10 years if you're healthy and you don't need to do any sort of like surgical procedure or any anything that's that's great. Like there's, there's no rush. I think sometimes like the information makes me feel panicky and rushed. And I sort of get like very doomsday-ish and I just want to solve every problem really quickly. But if I had allowed myself to become informed and then, you know, speak to a counselor, speak to a therapist about my feelings and like sort of slowed my role a little bit, I think I would have had a much better experience in the beginning and probably made the same decision, but like had a lot less like panic attacks or like, you know, a lot less like insane conversations at like three in the morning, like wondering about life and death. Like, you know, just informing yourself doesn't mean you have to make that decision the next day. And and I also think like with uh, for 
family and friends, like I've had a lot of women contact me and say like, well, my sister's positive and she won't have the surgery and I'm so Mm -hmm. mad and she won't do it. And I always say, well, if she doesn't have cancer, there's no immediate need to have the surgery. Like I chose to have it for me, for my peace of mind. It made my life better. But because, you know, you are afraid of your sister, something happening to your sister or cousin, just so you know, like there is no if they don't have cancer, there's no emergency need to have a mastectomy or to get treatment. Like mm-hmm. the the feelings might feel like it's an emergency and feel scary, but um, until they're ready and they feel like they can argue with three different doctors about why they need the surgery, then you don't want to push someone into something because then they will regret it or then they will, it will be an emotional decision that um, they, they are afraid of, you know, or, or upset about years later. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I always say like, it's so great. There's so much information now, but there's also like no rush (laughs) until you're diagnosed with something. There's no rush to do it. Um, I felt very rushed and I felt very panicked and, but I am really glad I I took my time to like really think it over and, and make the decision. That's amazing. And just, that's a great note too. Just being supportive sometimes involves letting the person make their own decision. Yeah. And it's, and that's what's hard that too. Is that like I've had, right I know a lot of people yeah. that say like, oh, well it's been two years and she still isn't having the surgery. And I'm like, oh, it could be 10 years. Like it's, it's really mm-hmm. like this, your brain and like your really to get yourself to that point when you decide I do want to have a massive surgery and alter my body is a really big step and you might think that your aunt's ready but she might never be ready and she um if you're positive we didn't even talk about this for BRCA one or two you have you basically get to go to the head of the class um medically speaking like you can get screenings and checkups uh twice a year as opposed to somebody who gets it every five years and you Mm -hmm. get very sophisticated and more in-depth screening for breast and ovarian cancer than someone who's not BRCA positive so if you choose to have a surveillance path, which like I wasn't, I didn't want to do because I had too much anxiety. Every time I went to the doctor, it caused me more and more stress. But if you're somebody who's a good patient and you don't want to do something invasive, you can stay with this um, diagnosis and just keep going and getting your checks and check and see if you have cancer. And then if you don't have it, you don't have to worry about it. So that's also another path that like wasn't for me, but that's something someone else can do. And it's completely valid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a valid, valid option, too. That makes total sense. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of feelings, but there's there's a lot lot. of options. (laughs) Yes. And it sounds like it's evolving and people are understanding more every day and there's less stigma. And so and also the stuff you do is so important because then it does break down the stigma and it opens up conversations. So, yeah, we just got to talk about it. I can't keep my mouth shut. So we just got to talk about it. We just got to talk about boobs more. Yeah. That's, I think, the conclusion. Everyone loves um, a tit. <laughs> so everyone loves a tit. Hashtag everyone loves a tit. Send in your favorite tits. Let's yeah. get this. I want to see your nipples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Caitlin, this has been amazing. Where can people find you on the internet and tell you how cool you are? Oh, you're so sweet. This has been so fun. So I'm on, I'm online at, at Katie on Instagram and Twitter at C-A-I-T-Y Brodnick, B-R-O-D-N-I-C-K. Um, and then I'm you can look up dangerousboobies.com, CaitlinBrodnick.com. Um, people can message me or tweet me and ask me any questions. Like I always try to respond to every single one. Um, 
during birth i didn't really respond to a couple but a little busy busy. but yeah i just like i just want to keep the conversation going because i felt so lonely and i just don't want that for anyone else that's amazing yeah that's great thank you so much for doing this thank you this is so fun Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you have any questions on the topic and you want to access our panel of experts, please give us a phone call. We have a hotline. You can leave a voicemail at 1-844-STOLAR-X. That's S-T-O-L-A-R-X. We'd love to hear from you. And please, you can reach us on Twitter. Follow us there. You can find us on Facebook. And if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you like what you're hearing, please rate us five stars. And we look forward to hearing from you about what you like about the show. And we'll be back with new episodes every Monday. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.